Welcome to episode 54 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotist, change worker and sleep talk consultant Cheryl Elman. My name's Howard Cooper and for over 14 years now I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Changeworks is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Today's guest has over 40 years' experience in business and is the president and the marketing force behind the Dave Elman Hypnosis Institute. Cheryl Elman, the daughter-in-law of the legendary hypnotist Dave Elman, is a wonderful hypnotist and change worker in her own right, having spoken and presented at countless hypnosis conferences all around the world. She's also an accredited consultant and international trainer for the Goulding process of sleep talk, which is something I'm also fascinated to chat with her about today. Welcome, Cheryl, to this rapid change conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me, Howard. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, me too, me too. I'm really hoping we can jump straight in. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and and how you got started in all of this? Sure. Um, I have a degree and background in education and special education, and from and did that for about five years. Went into business in sales, marketing, and business administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was doing that in Manhattan on and off um, for a, a total of approximately 15 years. And then I, in Florida, when I moved to Florida, my sister and I had a mobile arts and craft company. And we went to schools, scouts, camps, um, all different churches, all different kinds of programs, corporate events. And we brought art and crafts to the children or to the adults for team building and corporations and got to work with them, um, helping them to create and working with anywhere from 10 kids at a time to as many as 300 kids at a time. Um, and then besides the arts and crafts, we brought my husband's when my husband and I got married and he was telling me all these aviation history uh, stories. I said, wait, let me get you audiences. And I immediately called the camps um, and said, we have a new division called 100 Years of Flight, and immediately booked them in for about 5,500 kids during the summer, the first year we were married. Wow. Yeah. So from there, um, once I was married to Larry, uh, what got me going on this is Sean Michael Andrews came to interview Larry 
about his dad, Dave Ellman. And I really didn't know much. I uh, heard a little bit about him being a hypnotist, uh, but um, we hadn't really discussed it much. And uh, Sean um, stuck my hand to my head in the table, and I said, I want to do this. Uh, I did know it worked because I stopped smoking 16 years earlier using hypnosis. Mm. So... Um, Next thing I know, I was being trained, and Larry and I started speaking um, at different conferences, and it's all grown from there. T- tell me, what was it like for you having your hands uh, your hands stuck to your head? It was like, you know, I'm a, a very much a logic-based person, and I definitely had the feeling like, I know, I know I'm in control, I know that I could be able to move this hand, but but this is a really cool feeling. <laughs> so there was a piece of me that was like really going with it, you know, and then there was a piece of me that knew that I could probably not go with it if I chose to, you know, I mean, mm. I even, so, and I, I guess it was similar to smoking, you know, uh, I had done it first as a group and it worked and um, and then I started playing with it. You know, I started to, you know, hold somebody's cigarette and then light somebody's cigarette and then take a puff of someone's cigarette. You know, and it was only it was only a short period of time till I was right back up there to two and a half to three and a half packs a day. Yeah, that was back in the days where you could smoke everywhere. Tell me, because another area of your of interest for you uh, is this thing that, that, that we refer to as sleep talk. And you're an accredited sleep talk trainer. Um and on the rapid fire round, uh, you mentioned uh, when I asked you um, uh, about what's the biggest misconception people have about the work you do. You mentioned that sleep talk isn't necessarily around, you know, people jump to the conclusion it's about people having, uh, you know, children with sleep issues or children um, doing sleep talk at night talking in their sleep and it's not that so for those who are not sure exactly what it is what is sleep talk and the sleep talk work that you do well thank you for asking it is a simple non-intrusive self-esteem and behavior changing process and it's done i do not do it with the children we train parents to do this process with their own children each night as they sleep. It's safe, it's ethical, and it's positive. So the parents give that two to three minute per night gift that lasts a lifetime. Mm. Um, and it, it's, it's uh, amazing to see the changes in the children. You know, ch- changing so much of what are their negative beliefs, the things that come in daily. You know, even things like so innocuous, you know, your child might be coming over to you with something really exciting to show you that for them is a big deal. And you're busy on the phone with someone. Maybe it's for business. Maybe it's just um, something important to you or something you're absorbed in. And they come over and you hold up your hand saying, not now, later. And that child feels deflated and walks away because that was such an exciting moment from them. And you didn't get to, sh- and they didn't get to share it with their mom or dad. You know, uh, as hypnotists, we find later in life when we go to work um, with people and their habits or their phobias or the different presenting problems, 
so often that initial, initial sensitizing event, the ISE, often starts with something pretty inconsequential. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And so here it is. Um, we don't know throughout the day what other things that that child has has um, has been exposed to. Maybe some kids made fun of them. Maybe the teacher, they, maybe he gave or she gave the wrong answer, and the teacher themselves, you know, did not totally respond to that in a positive way and made them feel bad about their answer or them even trying to answer it. Um, so all these things all start accumulating during the day. Um, these negative belief systems, these negative beliefs that they start to get about themselves. I'm stupid. Nobody wants to listen. You know, um, negative feelings. And yet, through this process, the parent each night, utilizing the statements that are given to them by the, by the consultant or trainer, uh, utilizing those statements um, that are very have characteristics to be very open-ended for that child. Um, they start to get fed positive beliefs, positive thoughts about themselves, positive thoughts that they could apply to what goes on in their day. And these positive beliefs start to begin to uh, co-reside with the negative beliefs that have been sitting there. And eventually, because it's being done nightly, it begins to override it. So the, the, the typical kind of model of hypnosis is that we are helping someone uh, to go into a particular uh, state through uh, an induction and then perhaps a deepener. Um, and then we're, we're delivering suggestions. But with the, the sleep talk model... Am I right in saying that there, there isn't a, a, a sort of formal induction, that, that they're, right. in, they're asleep already? Yes. It, um, Joan Goulding, the founder of it, um, uh, would state that this is not hypnosis. The child is in sleep, and what you're just doing is transferring them to a, a slightly different level of sleep so that they are aware and listening to you. Mm -hmm. But they're still asleep. So... Um, you know, one of the big differences is Dave Elman, my father-in-law, um, used Larry, my husband, as he established um, hypnosis attached to sleep. And Larry was the little boy in hypnosis attached to sleep. Yeah. The difference is, is Dave actually did work through what the core reason was for a lot of Larry's allergies because he had a lot. And it actually dated back to trauma. So he, as a hypnotist, worked similarly as he would in working in regression with somebody uh, who might be in the classroom that the doctors had brought in and um, got the answers to what had occurred when he was four years old. And then it was, it was pretty scary for him, so he left him with the amnesia. But he, worked, he worked, did a lot of work on it. Uh, and left Larry continuing to have the amnesia, amnesia for it um, and then told him years later. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it did help the, the majority of Larry's allergies. Uh, Dave stopped working on him because Larry sat up, I think he was around 12, and said, Daddy, don't do that anymore. I think I remember reading that in the book. 
Yeah. And so, so D- Dave, so he had a bit of an ab reaction. Um, that which sometimes you see when people, when children are getting sleep talk, you know, they may react to it, but you know, they never remember it in the morning. So, and, and I don't think Larry remember ever remembered saying that to his father either. Yeah. Probably got right to something that was a little more touchy. So, uh, so Dave chickened out and didn't do anymore, but, uh, it was sort of interesting. Uh, so this is in itself is different because the parents are not hypnotists. Hmm. The parents are parents. And so we are, as trained consultants, and many of us are also hypnotists, give them and teach them. Start with a foundation process. There is a series of assessments that we do with the children uh, uh, where you're getting a, a snapshot from the parents of their child's behavior in like 30 some odd different characteristics and areas um and then the idea is not going for the symptom or the behavior it's going for the underlying issues below that so um the parent starts with a foundation process and months a few months later will get an additional assessment and then see what has changed and what's you know what's still you know um, behaviors and issues that need further uh, work, and then the statements are then modified to go specifically for the underlying issues of those items left. So, so Cheryl, you, you mentioned earlier um, in relation to this that they are given uh, certain statements that are, are, and the phrase you used was something like that there are open. Uh, what did you mean by that? Open-ended. Hmm. Okay, so uh, an open-ended statement or, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's there's a bunch of um, characteristics that these statements have to be based on. But an open-ended question or, or statement might be, um, for example, using the word we instead of somebody specific, you know, Maybe, maybe, um, or open-ended as far as the sun. Uh, today is a happy day, okay, is very open-ended compared to today is happy because the sun shines. Yeah. You know, or today, you know, giving, giving more reasoning behind it, just leaving it open-ended, you know, using the word it instead of specific things that it might be so that that child can create or put in for that day, whatever that it applied to them that day. So I really like that because what we're, what we're doing, I, I guess, therefore, as parents is we're, we're, you're not advising them or showing them how they can impose their own content. It's left very much for, for the child to develop in the way that and take on these suggestions in the way that they uh, are going to be useful for them. For example, and that, you know, that is a great point, Howard, because I have to tell you, I often, when I say to people that, you know, uh, we help, uh, talk, we talk to our ch- the children in the sleep, 
to give them better self-esteem and emotional resilience. And they go, I talk to my child all the time in their sleep. I go, great. You know, tell me a little about what you do. Tell me more about that. And they go, you know, I talk to them. You are beautiful. You are so smart. You are going to be a phenomenal doctor, you know. So it's, 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 you're laughing, but you've heard this before, yes? It, it just it, it strikes me as being, you know, sort of my head in my hands going like, who says that that's what they need to be? Exactly, exactly. I have a niece and I know my brother I always talked to her, you know, about what a great doctor she's going to be. And my mm-hmm. brother died. She was in high school and throughout throughout um, college and uh, throughout medical school. You know, when she was having a hard time, I would sometimes tell her, you know, it's okay if you decide that this is not what you want to do. And she went through it. She went through it. She did become a doctor, was a doctor for a few years, and has since changed to being a sex therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so she took her interest in women's health and and um, doing mostly gynecological work and and uh, went into all aspects of working with that within, you know, uh, therapy. So I guess we never lose the education that we get. But I think I think of how many people end up going to school or going and studying something, not because it's something they chose. It's because of something their parents pushed. There's a, it's really interesting. There's a song. Uh, my, my son, he's four and a half, and he's just got into the film Aladdin. And uh, my wife found the soundtrack, not from the film, but from uh, the musical. And there's some extra numbers in there that they they don't normally play on the film when you watch the musical. And one of these songs I, I literally can't bear. And I had this whole conversation with my wife about this. Uh, and the lyrics are something about it's Aladdin singing about how he's, his goal now is he's going to make his parents who he doesn't know he's he's often he wants his his father to be able to say i'm proud of you you know he's going to live his life now by trying to find a way of making his parents proud and i i can't bear the song because i don't really like the message that uh this kind of insipid idea insidious idea that creeps in that children should be living their life purely to make their parents proud by living out of a construct of what they believe their parents want for them. You know, I'm I'm glad you brought that out. One of the presentations I do um, when uh, at different conferences is some of the worst things to say to your child. And that exactly is one of those. You know, I'm so proud of you. Well, you know, I'm so proud of you. Uh, And if again, if you're saying that all the time, I'm so proud of you, you know, um, Again, it's giving that child the feeling that they have to make that parent proud as opposed to saying, wow, you must be proud of how much work you put into that to accomplish that. You must feel so good and proud of yourself and what you've done. And I think that's a big change, you know, so people can look and feel and and, and not just be proud, but what is it? You must be proud that you worked fairly hard. You must feel really good at how much uh, and how creative you got on that piece, and you really let all your thoughts flow in in, in writing that article or whatever it is. You know, it being 
not just the word proud, but what they feel proud of. So they learn to understand how to value the little things that mm. make up the bigger items in our lives. So there's a, there's a real subtlety, it seems, around how we educate parents, and whether it's through sleep talk or just in general, um, understanding the, the power of words and the power of suggestions, not just the you know, the initial what would sound like positive suggestions of, oh, you know, you're a wonderful human being and I'm so proud of you. But actually that there's a kind of a meta suggestion below that of, well, you know, why should they be living? Uh, why is their job to make you proud? Should we not be right. helping them to become proud of themselves um, yes. and have self-efficacy? I, I agree. So uh, it's just like the same thing of if the parent, we were teaching a sleep talk class here, and one of the, uh, Joan was here from Australia. She originally started this program um, because her daughter had special needs, and she was, um, she was pretty much nonverbal. And Joan had had her checked over the years. Everybody kept saying there was no problem. And finally, she was diagnosed at the age of eight with dyspraxia, dyslexia, um, with cerebral palsy, and um, with an IQ of about 45. And so that was a lot all these years to being told, oh, there's nothing wrong. So, um, so working with her, getting her to understand and it was actually one time they were driving along and she noticed something and started to make all these sounds and trying so hard to talk. And when they were thinking that night, what was it? They realized that she was seeing something that had been there in that field, that empty field, like weeks earlier. That now it was just a, an empty field and they realized that her self subconscious brain was much more intact than her conscious brain. Now, how to begin to t speak to that brain, how to how to get to it. And that's when, she, you know, she she was a bit of a wild child, you know, and and didn't you can't hypnotize them because they're not focused, et cetera. You know, not focused, not enough IQ. It was illegal in Victoria to use hypnosis, even though they taught it. They went out of uh, that state when they did the clinical part of the course and they came back and they all graduated because they could teach it theoretically. So that's when they started playing with sleep talk and, and how that would, could work. And so it's developed over the years and redeveloped and, um, and they really just consciously, um, it started to make a change to the point where one day when Joan asked Michelle, how she how she was doing when she came down, really up until that point, she had the word no, hmm. you know, and she just looked and she crooked her head and she looked at her and went happy. So, so one of those words in that statement had finally come through to her to her unconscious and gave her that word. And all of a sudden she could, you know, say that word. And years later in her sheltered workshop, she worked in. Uh, they started calling her Chatterbox. So obviously it worked. <laughs> I, I'm really fascinated by an aspect of this, which I'm I'm not sure whether people ask you about or not, which is that there's clearly, um, it, it transpires and it, it seems, you know, tremendous benefits for the children. 
Uh, and the idea is, you know, kind of bathing their them with these with these positive messages that are designed open ended to to support them. But I'm just wondering, what are the benefits the parents see for the parents in themselves, um, in 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 spending time thinking about what's going to be useful for their child, in sitting next to their child each night, you know, for two three minutes delivering this stuff. Does it help the parent kind of see their child differently, or kind of have a, a different kind of connection with them? Yes, and. And uh, not to put you on the spot, hmm. but when you were a child, do you feel or did you feel you were unconditionally loved? Uh, yeah, 100%. Now, can you imagine what your life would have been like if you did not have that base feeling? Yeah. And probably many of the clients that we see grew up without that feeling. Hmm. And so um, I think, and, and if you've grown up without the feeling of being loved or unconditionally loved, and it's interesting, by the way, because when talking to people about, um, about this, trying to get this feeling, this, this initial thing uh, uh, or of a gift that you could give a child that could last a lifetime, if 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 it they cannot come to unconditional love, they can't see it. The word love could be up there, and they can't see it. Um, even when saying there's a word up there, it just needs to be expounded on more. Or even when they get to love and they can't think of that word, they can't think of it in terms of people, in terms of themselves. But once you say uh, your pet or your dog, all of a sudden they understand unconditional love. Because people, I think, understand that you can get that from a pet. So a lot of them have not learned to receive it or give it. So during this process of, uh, and, and if you haven't learned or received it in the past, many of them never have been told that they're loved. It's hard to pass that on. And I think that's one of the things that have broken through the years. You know, everybody's so busy on their on their. Mo- on their mobile devices, with the TV, with doing everything but communicating with each other, that often that fact is just lost. Mm-hmm. So for that parent to take that two to three minutes and talk to their child through their heart, and expressing, you know, uh, the their their love at the same time, makes a huge shift in the entire family. And, you know, and, and lots of times, remember, we're not meeting the child. We are seeing the children through the eyes of the parents, the eyes and heart of the parents. So sometimes the biggest change comes because the biggest change comes from the parents. Hmm. There's an understanding, you know, um, there's an understanding that they get. So I know many of the people out here listening are therapists or hypnotists. And often we work with children and send the children home. And they've made some some progress. And maybe just after a short period of time or maybe a longer period of time as things keep growing, the children lose what they have gained and old patterns start to – old patterns or new patterns um, 
that are detrimental start appearing. Do you find that that happens a lot? Mm. For sure. So, so the sleep talk prog- process helps because now it's going to help change their environment because now the family in general is going to change because you're going to work with all the siblings, all the children. The parents are going to feel it. It's best when both parents do it if there are two parents uh, and do the process with them. And it's only, you know, it's it's less time than it takes to drink a cup of coffee each day, mm. you know, per child, And it, but with such benefits. So two things, the children change and the behavior changes in the parents towards the children. So there creates not just... It's it's just it's not just a shift in one direction. It's a shift in the entire family. I I really like it, and I like the more I'm thinking about it. Um, is it strikes me that yeah, you're right. It, it it's a greater change, uh, and the, the the power of it uh, is greater than simply the the words, the suggestions that are made. There's a systemic effect of doing it as a process uh, and the impact that it makes with the parents, the family, uh, e- even the even beyond the words that are said, just the suggestions of the parents spending time with the child right. that, that, that creates an, a, a, a really powerful difference in their environment. It, it's, it's really kind of cool. Sheldon, you mentioned in the the rapid fire round, um, I asked you, can you think of a concept or an idea that you used to believe was true, but you subsequently changed your mind about? And you said um, this idea of saying to the kids, good job, good job. Um, I'm not trying to take off your American accent, by the way. It just popped out that way. Oh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't make me try to mimic yours. (laughs) You know what? I have to say, I used to always notice accents. You know, until I started traveling the world, mm-hmm. and it's rare. I also moved to the South, and I'm from New York originally. So, you know, uh, North Carolina accents. You know, now I I don't even notice the accents ninety percent of the time, unless you know sometimes they talk and it's like they have marbles in their mouth. You know, and that person I really have to listen to. But I, you know, I, you know, it's almost like talking to a Southern version of Bob Burns. Bob, I love you out there. But uh, he's also that Scottish accent. I spent time with him in Brazil. And I was like, can you say that again? <laughs> Listen, uh, you but, know, listeners won't know this, but uh, when I originally uh, started this podcast, I, I decided I was going to have every episode transcribed. And I outsourced this um, to some uh, transcription service that are based overseas. And you should have seen the message that, that came back after they heard Bob Burns' tra- uh, podcast. None of them could transcribe a word of it. Yeah, I know, I know. Or, or um, uh, when I was, we were teaching in Zurich, Larry and I, uh, with Hans Rudi Wiff, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, they were talking about that um, uh, Captain Ron Esslinger mm-hmm. was going to come and visit, and uh, you know from Tennessee, deep Tennessee accent, and they, we just looked at, and Larry said, if you guys think you have a hard time understanding us, wait till you meet. Ron. <laughs> so, yeah, so I just don't, I don't notice it very much anymore. Mm. But, uh, so no, your American accent, I didn't even notice, wasn't uh, British. <laughs> thank you. That, that's, that. But, so we were talking about that thing from yeah. the rapid, oh, the good job. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, we went from saying, good boy, you're such a good boy, you're such a clever boy, you know, we, oh, 
we've we've switched to that to saying instead more of what they're doing good job but i noticed even when i'm with my grandchild and uh, and we have now three and a half we have one dude uh at the end of august um we are i'll sit there and i notice myself saying good job good job and i realize that that's just gotten as as automatic as good boy you know and so I think it's important that we we talk about what that job, you know, that that was that was that was a good job. I noticed how much um, you really thought about the colors you used. In other words, you're really expounding on what was a good job, not just a rote good job. Yeah. So it's this idea. It's it's not necessarily the 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 good job that you object to, but it's the it's the when it becomes so automated that it, it's not qualified and they start picking up on that. Oh, they're just saying that. Right. Right. <clears throat> so I think it's important in that way they think about how the, what process they put into it. So mm-hmm. that just helps them develop processes towards new things. You know, I wish I, I'm looking to find years ago, I was a site coordinator uh, for, for several sites for Sylvan learning center during our process of no job, uh, no no kid left behind, and uh, so they were after school tutoring, and there was and I really want to find it ninety nine ways to say good job or or you know and and different ways of saying the same thing, you know wh- where you can vary it where you also can bring it down to the the what was it that was a good job the way they thought it through the way they connected their paragraphs the way they put their ideas together you know the way they they made their sister or brother feel good about you know uh, what they you know the picture they drew so so just catching them doing something good and and pointing it out as to what aspect of it was good not just good job or good boy or good girl so, so broadening out uh, this conversation a, a little more, um, you have used the, the, the phrase sort of kind of getting in, uh, through to their unconscious or, or put, putting that in. How would you define the unconscious? What is the unconscious as you see it? Um, I think the unconscious in sleep talk, the way uh, – I mean, I know in psychology years ago and in aspects of learning, I learned that there was the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious. And the unconscious mind or brain, so to speak, was all those things that were automatic. You know, our breathing, our our heartbeat, our, um, you know, hormonal things, you know. And a lot of those things are exactly that they're automatic till you think of them and then they stop being automatic right Mm -hmm. so you're breathing at one rate and as as soon as i say now notice your breathing your breathing tends to sometimes change you know and um just as we can work with different hormones and we can work with uh different things so it's not just the uh, uh, the automatic things going on but to me the conscious brain is the thing thinking about thoughts, um, thinking about the things going on right now, the things that you are aware of now. There's so many things in our 
subconscious, and I tend to bunch them together, the subconscious and unconscious brain, and so does Sleep Talks, looks at it as the same thing, that is where everything is stored. You know, so it's our memories, it's our emotions, things that we've read, things we've seen, things we've felt, things we've um, experienced, um, uh, dreams. I think those are all, it's, uh, if you think of it as a big library of DVDs, of all our experiences, thoughts, feelings, um, all those things are there. And that's what we use a lot in hypnosis, you know, when we go down to our control rooms, you know, where we can, we, we can choose to bring out something funny to look at, or we could choose to change our emotion from where it is right now. Or when we go into our control room and help to um, turn down the volume on a memory or a thought or a pattern that gets in our way. You know, so I think the conscious mind is what we're experiencing now. And, you know, that mostly those thought processes as opposed to a lot of the unconscious, subconscious. There's there's a lot going on. And I forget the statistics, but um, there's, there's, I think, hundreds or thousands of things going on in our subconscious at once. And we can only hold... I think it's three to seven thoughts or things in our conscious mind at a time. Do you know the specific, uh, the, it's, it's, the statistics? It's seven plus or minus two. Yeah. Um, conscious things that, that, that you can take. So it's somewhere between five and nine. Well, it's interesting because now I'm 66 and I used to be able to juggle a lot of things up in the air. And I just, you know, like, uh, and I used to be quite the multitasker. I'd watch TV while you know, doing my algebra homework and mm -hmm. still get all the products, uh, all the problems correct and get to watch the things. I was able to do them both simultaneously well, and listen, enjoy you, doing it. If you mm -hmm. ask my wife, if you ask my wife how many things I can hold uh, consciously in my head, she'd say one. Right. And uh, yeah. trust me, as you get older, sometimes it's a half. <laughs> 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 so uh, I do find that it's it's harder for me to keep track of that and keep those balls flying hmm. here's the thing obviously this is the rapid change matters podcast i'm always curious and fascinated to hear about some real cases uh a couple of things that maybe um people that have come in they worked with you whether it was sleep talk or some other uh, uh hypnosis that you were using um but essentially they've come in they've got a particular problem and when they leave one session Two sessions, it's uh, it's done. They never have the problem again. Would you be willing to share with us a couple of tales? So I had somebody that came in with something interesting. Hmm. Okay, out of the ordinary. Came in and wanted to be able to like housework. <laughs> See? Now, I love I'm this sure already. Stop it on your repertoire, right? I love this. Wait till my wife hears this episode. She's going to go, quick, send send Howard to Cheryl. Uh-huh. And, and part of the thing was that um, he and his wife had been married for 17 years. She was a chef, and she liked things a certain particular way and wanted his help. Um, you know, but she wanted it done a certain way. And he had learned over the years that, you know, you know, however he did it, she was going to not necessarily think he did a good job. And it created this issue between them. So there was this dance they were doing for years. 
of being unhappy with each other because of this issue. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to, he really wanted, he loved to ride his bike down the greenway. Like he wanted, he had an outrageous number of thousands of miles he wanted to ride a year. And he wanted to spend his weekends doing that, not cleaning. So, you know, we got to talking and he was a very logic-based person, um, very analytical. And um, so I was sitting there and going, hmm, how can we do this? And I don't know, you know how you're working with a client and just different things come up. And, um, you know, so I think I saw him a total of three sessions. And the first session, I think I used the metaphor of taking dance lessons. I said, so you guys have been stepping on your toes as you dance this dance of life together. And so now you have the good news is, is you are here taking this moment. You're taking this new dance lesson and learning how to better lead her through the floor so that you can be more harmonious together and enjoy each other's time. And so I did this whole thing um, using a dance metaphor and uh and and rolling in the things of um you know not waiting for it and and you know and and if as he did something if if it was if it was commented on it was almost as if she had stepped on his toe but learning at the same time since she does know what clean is having been a chef learning and taking in perhaps being able to accept that and do it differently next time, right? And so this whole thing, and I don't remember the details. I have to find that recording one day and actually write it up because it was quite interesting. And she, and he, he left that day, and he was feeling pretty good about himself. And he came back the next day, the next week, uh, and came in and goes, okay, I've got this down. I really like doing laundry. You know, laundry to him was sorting, you know, sorting and doing the things like he likes that are very logic based. And he goes, but can you get me to like cleaning the toilet? (laughs) So now uh, it's interesting because it was uh, he was working on a logic puzzle. And I don't know many other people other than myself that like to do logic puzzles. You know, it's you know, you see crossword, you see Sudoku, but very rarely do you see a book of logic problems. Mm-hmm. And so he was working on that while he was waiting for me. And I found that interesting. So we got to talking about jigsaw puzzles. So the next metaphor was, you know, this whole process being like a jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, the parts where you get to the jigsaw puzzle where it's uh, where you are working on things like that have structure, you know, that have color that it, it's much more exciting. And then you put together all these little areas, these little like going into all the rooms and getting all the things that need to the sky, the water, the things that is just so, a massive to put together without all those details. But somehow or other, it brings together this full picture, this mm-hmm. full, beautiful, framed picture of uh, that you are trying to accomplish. And so bringing in how all those little things do not make anything tremendous but when they're all put together how how beautiful it is and how beautiful the house is and how good he can as he as he rides down his greenway on his bike knowing all that stuff is done in his own time without being asked and and that was and so that was the second time and he came back and 
everything was uh, pretty much working well. His wife actually let him plan a vacation. They had gone away. He took the lead. Uh, and uh, in the because it used to be whatever I say is she's going to have something to say about it. So he actually planned a whole vacation. They went and did it a weekend together, and it was really good. So it was major improvement. And the third session, I taught him how to go down to his own control room. Mm-hmm. And I forgot what little thing we were looking to adjust. I don't remember what it was. But I just remember that while he was down there, he looked around at all the potential things and all those those dials and, and levers. And and he came back up and he goes, can I have an express elevator down there? So I, I gave him that express. He goes, okay, can I go home now? I'm ready to play. And that was the last time I saw him. It was a huge change. And he now saw how he could then take that change and keep utilizing himself using his, his – um, control room his subconscious his his dvd center of his life with and all the the dials and levers that he can use and his magic remote control so i would say that was one that it wasn't it wasn't like huge because it wasn't something that he came in in tremendous amount of pain but i would say that was one of the more unusual ones i i i really like that i think it's a great great tale um I, I I do, and I and I love that that the message at the end of it, which is you know he's got this uh, express elevator down there, and what you've given him is uh, you know the the gift of self change. He's looking at the mm-hmm. world differently, and he can go and take that and and, and do that. Uh, that's awesome, um, Cheryl. I, I know you mentioned when I asked you about what book would you reread if you had to reread one book a hundred times. What book would you uh, recommend? And it was a uh, Dave Ellman's Hypnotherapy. Um, are there any other books that uh, you would recommend for people starting out in the field? I am more of a, a, a class attender than I am a book reader. Um, uh, so, But there's some really good people I would learn from, mm, you know, yes. whether it be in their books. Uh, I, I recommend Melissa Tears. I think she has a lot of good things to say. I think she takes a lot of the change work that sometimes is presented a lot more with a lot or um, uh, details a lot where it gets confusing. When you sometimes read NLP, it can mm-hmm. get a little confusing. I think she she brings it down to very changeable um, uh, chunks. You know, very understandable chunks. I really like her. Um, uh, I've had. Um, I'm looking forward. Jason Lynette is coming out with a book. I'm looking forward to his because I. We've got, had the opportunity to um, to teach with him, study with him, and um, so I'm looking for. I like the way he he uses words and blends things together. For sure, um, yeah. I think Sean Michael Andrews has a good book out there that um, helps bring in um, not only his street hypnosis stuff but the basics of hypnosis. Um, I have not read Ericksonian. Mm-hmm. Because I was teaching so much of Elman, I didn't want to totally get myself totally off track. For so, sure. and um, but uh, I would say, uh, but there is a, some good books by him too. Um, I recommend. Um, I'm trying to think of the books in my bookcase. I could walk out there, <laughs> but I would recommend. I w- here's one of the things I would definitely recommend. Get a variety. Read a variety 
DVDs. I'm more of a watcher and a listener mm-hmm. um, because, again, I spend a lot of time on the road, sometimes 14. Uh, our kids are like 12 hours away and 20 hours away. So getting to listen to things. Um, and Dave Elman himself said, make sure you learn from other people. Uh, when I was in Romania with Larry years ago, there was a psychologist, actually two in our class, and they could never be photographed or anything because uh, they were not allowed to take courses from anyone but their instructor. So they are learning from their instructor, their psychology instructor. They're getting um, psychoanalysis from their instructor. So they're getting the knowledge, they're experiencing the therapy, and that's all they're allowed to do. They do not encourage somewhere else. So if you have a really good instructor and supervisor then and, and analyst, then you're going to learn some good basic structural psychology. But if not, then you're passing down generations of excuse the express shit <laughs> see now i had to bring in a little thank you for the yeah absolutely. being able to i think i think dave elman always said don't let it end with me study from other people i think i think it's important the people that just t- if you're out there and you have just you know taken just your basic psychology what you needed for your degree or hypnotherapy what you needed for your degree Okay, and and then you are consider yourself your psychologist or your hypnotist and then do your minimal CEUs each year. I think in a way you are um, you're really cheating yourself because I think it's important to get out there. I think being at conferences, being in um, even the virtual conferences of today where they're interactive, it's important to take courses to study and to experience live as much as you can with other people even if it means creating or going to meetups in your area it's important to have that exchange of ideas listening to podcasts you know there are some great ones there you know you've got howard's series here i think you said this is about 50 i think i think Mm -hmm. um Jason Lynette's up to about 150. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good things out there um, that you could be listening to and watching. And there's always – I, you know when I get the biggest kick is when I see somebody who's been in this business way longer than me and they come to our class you know, or our presentation and mm-hmm. they leave with a nugget. That's what it is. Uh, or as Helen Midas would say, in, she – I came for a nougat, and the nougat she got was in my deepening class this year at the Heartland Conference in St. Louis. And the one last year was something Tom Nicoli said about uh, about working in presentations with somebody that asks. He, he didn't actually – it wasn't something he was teaching. It was a way he handled somebody asking questions totally offbeat. Yeah. from what this topic was and how she handled She goes, that's why I'm here from Australia, just to pick up that one thing. So, you know, there's a lot to be out there. I think it's important to keep, to keep talking, to keep meeting people, spending time with people. Um, and if you have the option to go to some conferences, 
it's not always being in the classes that you gain. It's sitting and talking and networking, even if it's at the Alligator Bar at HypnoThoughts Live. Yeah. You know, it that's where you grow. I, I I think you're absolutely spot on. And some of the, the best connections I've made and some of the most amazing things I've learned have not been on the seminars or, or in the, the, the presentations. It's the conversations afterwards. It's the, it's the, the meetings uh, as well. Um, listen, if people are listening to this and, and they want to get in touch, they want to find out more, where can they go? How can they get in touch? Um, I have two main websites. One is Dave Elman Hypnosis Institute.com. You know how many times I have misspelled institute? I'm so sorry <laughs> I put that in the name because I yeah. type it wrong often. Dave well, we're going to put the link underneath the episode, so it's going to be nice good, and easy good. for people to find it. Dave Elman Hypnosis Institute.com. And um, and the other one for Sleep Talk is sleeptalkchildren.us. We also have um, downloadables for those listening around the world and really don't want to get caught up with uh, all the VAT and all the uh, the time it takes and all of the um, the sh- shipping costs. We do have uh, quite a few of our products that are now downloadable at uh, Gumroad slash Dehigh Digital. Fantastic. And you'll see um, some good products there. Great stuff. Well, we're going to put links to all of those things uh, underneath the episode. So if people scroll down now, they should be able to see it and click right on through. Cheryl, um, before I bid you farewell and thank you uh, officially for, for being a part of this series, is there anything that you wanted to share with uh, me and our listeners Um that you thought would come up, but that I just haven't asked directly. Talking about sleep, going back to talking about sleep talk, hmm. you know, people have said to me, well, you know, I already have a practice or I don't see children and I just want to verify again that um, I don't see children when I'm teaching sleep talk. So uh, sleep talk is a program where you are training the parents to talk to their children two to three minutes a night. Now, if you have a parent that's coming to you and part of their thing is stress or you know so much of their so much of what we do centers around stress or how much of what their behaviors they're going through are are because of the stress within a family relationship or or because of what their children are doing or so i think it's good for anyone that has children to start doing this with their children because the parent also benefits from it you know um so i think that uh, it's also, if you are a therapist or a hypnotist, it's also a great way to get into group situations with parents because it's, uh, we, you know, doing a group, some group workshops about sleep talk, you know, uh, issues will get you into churches, schools, preschools, and, and from that uh, get you adult clients also because you're out there talking you know uh, a preschool elementary school might not want you coming in and talking about hypnosis a Mm. church group may not want you to come in and talk about hypnosis but if you can come in and discuss you know gifts what would be a great gift to give their children that would last a lifetime and do a workshop with them on that or some of the worst things to say to children you know so or we have a signature slideshow about sleep talk and how it helps. So getting parents involved 
also opens up whether you get a sleep talk client from it or they have a, a an uncle that is a heavy smoker and needs to stop smoking you are just expanding your marketing horizon so much by using this process as a way to get in to talk it's also can be done in groups mm-hmm. so so uh, a preschool might like to offer this to parents to come in and do this process because how is it going to benefit the school? Well, if they have children that are have been behavior problems before and now that child is making a shift and a change, you know, you, you know, we talk about rapid change. One of the first families I worked with, you know, was over and, and the, oh, by the way, it's very Skypeable. So if you don't have an office or you want to work evenings and you work a full-time job. Uh, I do 95% of my work for sleep talk via Skype. Hmm. You know, so the parents can take the children and put them to sleep and then we do it in the evening. And that's very Skypeable. So, and when uh, I had this family who lived in a totally different area of the United States than me, and that first time I did an assessment, they had three children and one was they were having particularly bad bad issues with uh, meltdowns. And there's an assessment that you do, and out of that assessment, out of 30-some-odd items, there were 19 things that they, they saw or reported as being very poor or poor behaviors on a scale of 1 to 6. That would be like a 1 and 2. Yeah. And, and, and uh, just starting to do the uh, the assessment uh, starting to do the process it was uh, two weeks later he stopped having meltdowns which he was having two times a week and when we d- went two months later and did the second assessment there were only five I think that were still in that very poor and poor area and the rest had moved up and changed the behavior so much so um so that I would say, I know it's it was you know every night and it was two months, but how how long, or using traditional therapies or using other methods, how how much can you get done in two months, yeah. as opposed to the parent talking to their child every night? So to be able to shift fifteen of those items or fourteen of those items to an okay and good status made a huge difference in that family's life and in that child's life. I, I, I think it's fantastic um, hearing about it and also the way in which it can be used as a marketing platform is just something that I hadn't really thought about um, and I can totally see the merits in that, absolutely. Cheryl, I, I've really enjoyed chatting to you uh, and finding out more about this and I hope that our listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have and it's just such a fascinating, interesting area and uh, certainly hope that they uh, scroll down, click on some of the links below and have a little play and have a little explore around some of the themes that we've right. talked about today. Um, and so- I just I just finished training um, a group, both some were here in, in the at our um, institute and some Skype, you know, were Skyped in. So you can train with me uh, individually or in groups uh, via Skype to be a sleep talk consultant. Um, and we also do mentorships. And one of the things I just wanted to put out there, mm. um, because this would be helpful to us, is we're looking to do 
um, uh, get some Dave, more Dave Elman hypnosis methods trainers. And uh, we're now thinking of doing a training in Germany at the beginning of December. Again, it could be in person and it can be online, you know. So, but we are looking because Larry, Larry's going to be 80 this year. And, and you know, uh, we want to make sure that Dave Eldman's methods, um, just as Joan also wants to make sure sleep talk continues because she's also up there in her 70s. And we want to keep these methods going beyond our lifetimes. So that is our goal for both these programs. And mm -hmm. so we're looking for consultants uh, and we are looking for trainers in both. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm certainly hoping that uh, there may be some potential trainers, future trainers who are listening out there as they hear this podcast. Cheryl, thank you so much for your time and really, really appreciate you spending some time with us and our listeners uh, uh, speaking about all this stuff. Okay, thank you, Howard, and uh, I, hope, I hope you too show and, and go forth with that sleep talk because I know you are intrigued. I am intrigued. I am, absolutely. I look forward to it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change matters hyphen podcast. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.